I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Some wish to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. It's this famous line from missionary extraordinaire C.T. Studd that is going to be the heart of our conversation today on This Week in Church History, talking about the life of Charles Thomas Studd, who uh, was born on the 2nd of December. And so this gives us an opportunity to be able to talk about a man who really revolutionized quite a lot for the sake of missions. So C.T. Studd is, uh, as he's known, he's born in 1860, um, and he didn't start off uh, necessarily with a career path leading towards missions. Instead, this famed missionary was a star sportsman. Well, he, he came from one of England's richest families. He goes to Cambridge. He loves the national sport, which was cricket. And um, Wait, you're going to have to help our listeners understand cricket. Well, I, I just happen to have a definition here of cricket, which should help everyone with no exposure to the thing. So, so for all of our listeners, just a few weeks ago, both both Mike and I messed up baseball pretty pretty good. We we got uh, well, baseball averages, batting averages, things wrong. We we didn't understand what we were talking about Billy Sunday. So now we're talking about a really a global phenom in CT stud, right? He's, he's still kind of even memorialized a little bit in terms of some of the things that he got to, to participate in because cricket is a global sport. I mean, it's, it's anywhere in the British Commonwealth. You pretty much find this. Yeah. And he was able to use that gift even on his missionary adventures. And, and he would use that as a means to get into places and, and access to people where it would have been almost impossible to do that without something like cricket. So, okay, define cricket for us as something other than an insect. Well, the, these are the, the rules. This is what happens during a game. Yet you have two sides, one out in the field and one in. Each man that's in the side that goes in goes out. And when he's out, he comes in and the next man goes in until he's out. When they're all out, the side that's out comes in, and the side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. <laughs> Sometimes you get men still in and not out. Now, when a man goes out to go in, then the men who are out try to get him out, and when he's out, he goes in, and the next man in goes out and goes in. There are two men called umpires who stay out all the time. They decide when the men who are in are out. When both sides have been in and all the men have been out and both sides have been out twice after all the men have been in, including those who are not out, that's the end of the game. It's incredible. Yes, and uh, I'm sure all of our listeners now are quite well educated on uh, cricket. If you really want to know more, you can uh, Google it. I, I remember trying to figure the game out when I was at Oxford, just watching some students play, and uh, outside of finally understanding what a sticky wicket was, oh yes, that that was very helpful. Um, yeah, the idea that these games, which they would broadcast like on the BBC, mm. they would go on for days the same game and the the men are wearing 
white sweaters that never get dirty. I just did not understand this game. It, it, it's an adventure. It's a challenge. It, it's England against the world. Right. And so with Stud as this player, he really is for his day um, one, of, one of the top players of this sport of gentlemen uh, from the British Commonwealth. And everyone knows his name. Yeah, he's known as the greatest athlete in Britain. Which is phenomenal. Uh, and we saw this, again, talking about Billy Sunday. Here, here's this man playing baseball. He's very well known. He, he leverages that into uh, a means of telling others about Christ. Uh, what changes Stud's life to, to where he would go from being this superstar cricketer to – uh, being someone who is ready to uh, to take on souls at the very gates of hell. He, he was brought up in a Christian home. He's aware of the gospel. He's probably saved, he admits, but certainly backslidden. Um, he goes to hear D.L. Moody, who's on a tour of Britain, and he's reawakened to the gospel, the urgency of of sharing that gospel with people about life and death and eternity and and he's revolutionized and and immediately feels the urgency and the call um to make the gospel known wherever he can and when he relates later this this conversion moment for sure this i really do take christ as my own his brothers are converted the same day it's a it, both of his brothers played cricket as well and, and and here they are these these men this very wealthy family um and as as stud says that the the lord gets a hold of his life it, it transforms the way that uh he understood uh really the way that life should be lived uh, he he said this uh, not long after his conversion was this he was reflecting he says still further and was better than all he set me to work for him and I began to try and persuade my friends to read the gospel and to speak to them individually about their souls I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring the first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ I have tasted almost all the pleasures that this world can give. But those pleasures were as nothing compared to the joy that the saving of that one soul gave me. What an incredible reflection on the first opportunity that he had to share the gospel with someone that 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 God would take and use him in this way. Yeah, and and again, what an incredible example to each one of us that the joy of seeing someone saved through your own ministrations. Of course, we can't save anyone. It's God who saves people, but. The, the wonderful miracle and, and incredible thing is that he uses people like you and me to do that. And, and this is where, you know, we don't, we don't often stop and make practical points, but I just can't help but, but think that uh, even for any of our listeners, you know, when was the last time that you experienced that joy uh, of sharing the gospel? You can't help but read C.T. Studd uh, in his own words or even his biographers and, and not walk away with an understanding of how much he understood the the beauty of the gospel and the importance of sharing the hope of Jesus w- with others. It, it just radiates throughout uh, his entire life uh, from beginning to end uh, uh, over much. Now, as a young man, as, he, as he's coming to Christ, as he's leading others to Christ, 
Uh, he's at Cambridge. Uh, he meets some friends. Uh, they all sense a call of God to go uh, and be missionaries, and they join with the China Inland Mission. And uh, they head over to work with Hudson Taylor and, and the work that's happening there. Uh, these men became known as the Cambridge Seven, these seven individuals going uh, to share the gospel. And as they get there, they uh, split into two groups, and Stud heads off uh, to work with a couple of, uh, of his friends there, uh, learning Chinese and beginning to do uh, their work. Now, at around the age of 25, while he's in China, uh, Stud's father dies, and, and he inherits quite a large sum of money. Yeah, he, he's due to inherit a, a trust, it seems. Um, and in, in today's money, it, it would be about, you know, five, maybe five and a half million dollars. And um, he decides that um, he will give that to causes for the gospel. Moody? So, yeah, he gives, he he remembers, you know, where he's from and uh, gives to Moody for Moody Bible Institute. Uh, He also gave to Mueller, right? We've talked about Mueller before in a prior episode. and. He gave a, a considerable sum yep. to Mueller specifically for the work that he was doing with orphans. Yes, and and again to uh, the Salvation Army uh, for them, you know, when they were mainly involved in uh, sending missionaries out, then he gives them money so they send 50 missionaries out through the money that he gives. Uh, he gives away everything. Uh, he marries and and gives his wife uh, a large portion of the money too, and and she uh, relinquishes that money too and gives that away, um, knowing that they will live and survive on, on their faith. So as they're serving in, in China, you would think those types of resources, that might be really good for them to be able to live on and to be able to uh, work on within uh, China, but they've, they fully embrace this idea of faith missions that— yeah. The, the best way for us to live as believers uh, who are serving for the sake of the gospel is just simply to trust the Lord for every, every dollar. If we're going to serve him, then that, that's just the way that it, that it happens. That's the way that it works. And as uh, he and his wife serve in China for uh, around a decade, uh, they, they still are able, uh, again, through his own um, business acumen and uh, his diligence and resourcefulness, they, they still even acquire properties and other kinds of things within the context of China that all are used to further the gospel. But when they leave after a decade there, they just give it all to the China Inland Mission and say, please have more people take advantage of these things. And they leave leave China with very few resources to even go back to England. And again, you know, it, it defies common sense and everything that we would think of as security. But they simply believed that God had called them and God would provide. It's an incredible view on faith. One of my favorite stories of their, uh, their time in China, they had moved and worked in, in a village, and there was a, uh, they had just gone to kind of uh, introduce people in that village to uh, the gospel. There they ran into a, a man who heard the preaching of the gospel. He came to faith. He worked with, uh, with the studs for a while, and... Um, he just had a burden to go back to his even more remote village to tell the village uh, about uh, Christ. And uh, as he 
uh, is expressing this, the studs caution him and say, you know, if you go back, it may cost you your life. And he says, I don't care. I need to go share the gospel with them. And so uh, he eventually leaves and goes back to his hometown and shares the gospel with them. And um, he is beaten. Uh, he is uh, imprisoned. Uh, when he escapes, he goes back to the studs. They nurse him back to health. And then he turns around and goes right back to his village and shares the gospel, ultimately leading countless people in that village uh, to faith in Christ because of his his diligence and uh, willingness to continue to uh, share the gospel with them. This multiplication factor that you see uh, engaged within the studs' work uh, in in China is just amazing. But this is where the story, I think, gets interesting. The studs, after faithful work for, again, around a decade, um, CT's ill, and he can't handle the um, the weather and some other pieces, and so they go back to England, and that should have been kind of the end of the story as far as mission work goes, but it's not. It's not. I mean, China, you would think, would be uh, enough for anyone spending the years that he spent there. Uh, he adopts uh, Chinese dress and customs. Uh, he actually believed with uh, several of the others so much that God would actually give them Chinese as a supernatural mm-hmm. language. And, uh, and when God doesn't do that, they actually then had to get down to actually learning Chinese to be able to witness. Um, but uh, he feels first a call to go to India, to right. the area where his father had made their fortune. And, and so he goes to the very area where his father had had an indigo factory and, and witnesses and, and does missionary work there and, and sees, again, incredible revival. And so he serves there somewhat six years or so uh, with his family uh, along with him, and they're, they're sharing the gospel um, with, with individuals there. Again, very, very fruitful work. And yet he's still struggling with personal health, and, uh, and and so they sense that they need to return back to England. Yeah, his again. his asthma gets uncontrollable, really. And so they they pack up and they move back to England. And and, and again, we would stop and say, well, this is, you know, again, faithful life, multiple years in two very different contexts, cultures, where they've they've done quite well for the sake of the gospel. Uh, let's applaud, and they can just kind of do uh, whatever they want to in England, and and he's been a faithful servant, but that's not where he stopped. No, he's 50-year-old. Um, he's walking down a street in Liverpool, England, and uh, sees a sign that has been posted uh, by a mission society, and the sign simply says, uh, cannibals want missionaries. <laughs> and, of course... He says to himself, well, you know, surely they do, and, and for more reason than one. And uh, he goes in, he listens to the message, and he's convicted about the need for missionaries now in Africa. Uh, he's told about the hunters who go there, the explorers who go there, uh, politicians who go there, but no missionaries are going there. Mm. He's not well. He's 50. Um, he doesn't have the finances to go. He approaches backers to see whether they will um, 
give him the support to go. Uh, they ask him to get a physical. And the doctor <laughs> said you would have six months to nope. live if you went to Africa. So he takes heed to the doctor's advice and stays home in England. No. No. <laughs> he goes to Africa. Um, he will not see his wife for most of the 18 years that yeah. he ministers. Um, uh, it's a, a sacrifice uh, just beyond, you know, understanding in some ways. Um, his, his time there, too, is, is exactly what the doctors had told him. Your health is going to, to bother you. So he arrives somewhere around 1910. Uh, he dies in 1931. The remainder of his life is spent in, in Africa. And uh, uh, according to biographers, he, he has a couple of different sicknesses. He lost most of his teeth. He suffered several heart attacks. Um, but he just kept right on going. And yeah, some wonderful stop. stories about uh, false teeth and uh, <laughs> being brought by a missionary who comes and, and – uh, how he had a, a wicked sense of humor, and and he would use those in sermons and different things. Um, C.T. Studd is is one of these larger than life characters, a, a Christian giant, um, one with uh, stories that will challenge and encourage, and and really should be known more than he is. Do do you have a biography that you've liked uh, from him just out of curiosity as, you know, if, if, because I, I do think that he's one of those characters that as I've read uh, about him, you cannot help but walk away challenged in your personal faith. And it's, it's just one of those things that uh, I think if, if I'm a listener and I'm hearing some of these things, it's, it's rather incredible uh, but when you read the biography, it's even more incredible than you could even imagine. Yeah, one thing that you should read um, is something that he wrote called The Chocolate Soldier. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it is a challenge to all Christians that we are soldiers. We are in a battle. And, and he compares, you know, what a Christian is and what they should be compared to what a soldier is, that they're ready to go into battle. They, they know the tactics of the enemy. They know the one who's in charge and, and they're trusting him and everything else. So, you know, there is a picture of a Christian soldier that uh, uh, he describes. And then there is the chocolate soldier, uh, the Christian who's not ready, who will melt <laughs> if they get near heat and, yeah. and they will dissolve and, and everything else. And and that, you know, he goes through different areas of, of where the chocolate soldiers are involved and, and the dangers and everything else. Um, the biography that I like, the, the story about him, um, is C.T. Studd, Cricketer and Pioneer. Right. That's the one I would say to grab. And you can enjoy it even if you don't know what cricket is. You'll probably enjoy it more if you don't know what cricket is, really. <laughs> it's, it's a really good biography that kind of balances um, uh, talking about the positives, but also some of the negatives and, and, and issues that he faced uh, overall. I just think it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, book. When, when C.T. himself gets towards the, the end of his life, um, he, he recorded and made a couple of comments. I think this is fascinating. He said this, as I believe I am now 
nearing my departure from this world, I have but a few things to rejoice in. They are these. So he's making a list. It, he, he's saying, I, I'm almost done with my life. Here, here are three things. And he gives three things that he thinks are the best things that have happened in his life. This is a man who has seen hundreds, if not thousands of people come to Christ on uh, three different continents. And, and yet this is what he's going to reflect on. One, that God called me to China and I went in spite of utmost opposition from my loved ones. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that is a great thing. This number one on my list that I did right. I went in spite of everybody else telling me not to go because I was following the call of the Lord. Yeah, and, and his daughter visits, and uh, he's living in a mud hut. It, it, it's the direst of circumstances as far as the world would see as a missionary. And uh, she is, you know, maybe uh, uh, as the world understands it, she is um, un unhappy with the fortune that he's given away. And uh, he looks around the mud hut for something valuable that he can give to her for her to take at least as like a consolation prize or something. And uh, there's simply nothing that he can give her. Mm. And so he reminds her that the greatest possession they have is Christ himself. And that's just so powerful. Uh, and, and this goes to his second thing that he said in his list was that I joyfully acted as Christ told the rich young ruler to act. And ultimately, that's, that's the gospel narrative that gripped his heart when he came into possession of this grand inheritance that uh, you know, Jesus had instruction, instructed the, the rich young ruler to take everything that he had received and give it all away. And in the text, it says that the man went away very sad. And uh, we don't know the end result of that, if, if, if the rich young ruler ever got that straight or right. Um, but for C.T. Studd, he saw that the clear implication of this teaching for him and for his life meant, I have to give it all away. And, and he did. And he says that was one of the second thing that was uh, of, of utmost value that he saw in his entire life. I mean, he he's... A great person, again, for some of the things that he said when uh, he was reflecting about his marriage. Um, he said, I did not marry her for her pretty face. I married her for her handsome actions toward the Lord Jesus Christ mm. and those he sent her to save. Wow. And together, they start the worldwide evangelization crusade. Um, and, and that's part of. Um, their legacy together. Uh, today, I believe they almost have 2,000 missionaries. They're active in 80 countries. Mm -hmm. So it's not like his ministry and mission ended with his death. Right. Uh, far from it. And that's that legacy bit. It, that would have never happened had he not just followed the Lord. Just and, and that becomes this hallmark, especially, again, reading his biography, just consistently following the Lord and taking advantage of everything there. That third thing on his list that he said at the end of his life that was was so um, uh, so important and when he reflected back, uh, he said this, that I deliberately at the call of God went alone on the Bibby liner in 1910. This is the boat that took him to Africa. I gave up my life for this work, which was to be henceforth not for the Sudan only, but for the whole unevangelized world. 
And that's that legacy that goes well beyond even just anything in Africa. My only joys, therefore, are what, excuse me, my only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. Yeah, when, when he left for Africa, he wrote this. He said, I will blaze the trail in Africa, though my body may only become a stepping stone that younger men may follow. Now, this type of radical discipleship, radical following of Jesus Christ, was something that God used to, to literally change uh, the trajectory of the lives of, of so many individuals. And it's, and it's hard not to read stories like C.T. Studd and just be inspired on your own, um, fo- uh, your own fellowship of Christ, your own discipleship journey, your own uh, means of following after uh, the Savior. And it's, it's convicting anytime I read uh, Studd <laughs> because I'm reminded of how infrequently uh, I uh, am ready to just willingly obey and go. I, I always want to second guess or second think or uh, try to find a different way. <laughs> I, I feel much more like Jonah than a, than a CC said. And again, this is a man who had everything as far as the world understood mm-hmm. possession. Everything at his disposal. And yet this is exactly what, what he's doing. The poem that he is uh, most known for, and we're out of time, so I'll close with, with this. Uh, this is how I was first introduced to him, and, and some of you may have heard this poem at some point. Uh, I'll just do the, the first and, and last uh, stanzas here. Uh, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, only one only what's done for Christ will last. And then the final stanza was, only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say your will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What a great legacy. It's wonderful. So readers, I hope you do take up some time to uh, look up C.T. Studd. Uh, this poem that I've closed with here, uh, Only One Life, is, is actually uh, rather good, uh, even just to reflect on uh, for your own purpose and sake. We're always grateful uh, to be able to tell you stories of men who have sought to follow the Lord passionately and completely. NCT Stud is one of those fantastic examples of God at work in a very powerful way. Well, that's all we have for this week. But we look forward to joining you next week on This Week in Church History.